this point, I'm not sure if you can relate more to feeling like you're on a deserted island or whether you'd rather actually go out of your house and go to a deserted island. Um, I showed this video last week and our kids asked us the question, why are those tally marks on the rock? And we explained to them that those tally marks are used to help track time when you can't keep track of time with a phone or a clock or calendar. And um, then we realized that um, we're having a hard time keeping track of time in this whole situation. So we decided we're going to start keeping tally marks on our t uh, wall next to our TV in our living room to kind of keep track of the days because we're losing track a little bit. Um, I do want to thank North Point Church in Atlanta for sharing a lot of the resources for this series that we started last week. And basically, this series is all revolving around the single question, what do you do when there's nothing that you can do? When it seems like there's just nothing to do, when you're in, a, in the meantime sort of season of your life, and it just doesn't seem like there's anything you can do. There's nothing you can fix it. That there's a set of circumstances, there's things around your life that you just can't do anything about, that nothing will really change them. There's no way out. There's no way forward. There's no way around it. Um, it's just the way it is. And this is just going to be the way that it is for a while. And you look into the future and just don't think that anything's going to change all that quickly. And really, this is where we sort of all are in this season right now where we're at. That there seems to be circumstances all around us that we just can't change. But maybe some of you can also think of previous situations or maybe current circumstances as well where it just seemed like that was the case. Maybe relationally. For some of you, maybe you were in a relationship and it just didn't seem like it was going to be the relationship that you thought it was going to be. Um, maybe some of you physically, um, you've been diagnosed with something and it's not going to kill you quickly, but there's really nothing the doctors can do to stop it or to slow it. And it's just going to be something that's kind of chronic and continue to be a debilitating thing in your life. Um, others of you, maybe it's just your dreams are not going to come true. That you had some dreams made for yourself or for others, and it just doesn't seem like those are going to happen. Maybe kids, parents for your kids or kids for yourself, you had dreams for what your future was going to be. And it just doesn't seem like those are going to uh, work out the way that you hope they would. Uh, maybe some of you, it's because it's academically that you just aren't going to be able to get into the preferred school that you wanted to get into. Others of you, maybe it's financially. Some of you, maybe it's professionally, that your profession, you're just going to have to change professions, change careers, or maybe you're going to have to move, and it's just not what you envisioned for yourself. And you just sort of look into the future, and your future is not what you envisioned for yourself or for those around you, and it just looks a little bit different. And you're sort of having an in-the-meantime moment. What do you do in the, in, the, in the meantime moments? What can you actually do? And basically, coronavirus in this situation is not something that I can change, not something you can change. There's nothing we can really do to fix it. It's just something that's sort of going on around us in these circumstances in this shelter-in-place situation. And in, in this situation, we really all are experiencing the same thing. We're all experiencing loss. Now, we're all responding to it maybe in different ways. Um, some of you are mad at God right now. Some of you are mad at government officials, at your family, maybe even at yourself for how you're handling the situation. Um, some of us, though, are tempted to run. Well, not like tempted to run physically because wouldn't that be an interesting thing if we were actually tempted to run? But some of us are tempted in difficult situations or difficult relationships where we know we should stay. We're sort of tempted to leave and to get out of the relationship. Um, some of us are just tempted to give up or to give in. Uh, others of you, maybe you're tempted to drink it away or to just sort of um, you know, ease the pain with some sort of habit or addiction and to deal with that that way. Um, and then most of us, I think almost all of us, we sort of look around and compare ourselves with other people. And it seems like all these other people have this shelter in place situation figured out. And we're over here struggling like it's still day one of this situation. And we just don't know what exactly we're supposed to do. And so even though we're all sort of figuring out this new normal, last week we said that new normal, that this new normal includes God being present, God being concerned, and God being loving. And, you know, figuring out new normal and what's, what's changed from the old, that's something that continues on into this new normal, this new reality that we're living in. And we looked at the scriptures, we opened the scriptures and looked at two situations that Jesus was involved in basically where people were around him. And we discovered something that um, is really sort of pretty powerful. And I think it's something that could be helpful for some of us 
to hear that basically the presence of adversity does not equal the absence of God. That the presence of adversity does not equal the same thing. It does not equate to the absence of God. And really there's no conflict between God loving you, God being present with you, and the presence of adversity in your life. And we said that God is not absent, God is not apathetic, and God is not angry. So what I want to do right now is I want to take some time to just discuss this question. Um, you can discuss it with those you're watching the service with, or you can also jump in the chat and, um, and give your answer or interact with people there. Uh, but the question is this, is it difficult for you to accept that God allows challenging circumstances, maybe in the meantime circumstances, in your life? Is that difficult for you to accept or to deal with? Because maybe that's not how you grew up or you weren't taught that kind of idea about God. And so I want you to discuss that now. We'll come back with more of the message. things aren't going our way, I think there's something in me and I think there's something in all of us that is sort of tempted to, to ask the question or to wonder, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Why aren't you? And it's kind of interesting that um, if you're tempted to conclude that God doesn't exist because God isn't cooperating with you, then as kids, we would have all kind of come to the conclusion that our parents didn't exist because very rarely did they cooperate with what we wanted, right? And my kids would walk around this house saying, there is no dad, there is no dad, there is no dad, because I don't always cooperate with what they want. Because if a lack of cooperation was somehow evidence or proof that something didn't exist or someone didn't exist, that would sort of change life in a lot of different ways as well. But here's the thing that sort of helps me, and I think it can help you, that when you open the New Testament, the stories of Jesus and sort of around the time frame of Jesus, we sort of discover that the women and the men around Jesus, who sort of bring us the story of Jesus, who sort of bring us the foundation of our faith, they were not strangers to adversity, that they faced all kinds of adversity, and yet they still believed. And somehow the people who brought us uh, our faith through the first century, the second century, the third century, and the fourth century, um, they were not put off by adversity. They were not like saying, oh, I can't believe anymore because of adversity. They didn't think adversity equaled or equated to the absence of God. And somehow that adversity in some ways, it sort of even fueled them even more to continue to be diligent in spreading the message of Jesus and sharing the message so that it can get from their difficult centuries to our sort of relatively easy centuries and the easy world that we live in today. And perhaps Paul is actually the greatest example of this. Paul um, was somebody that um, was not actually somebody who met a pre-crucified, resurrected Jesus. Um, Paul didn't walk around with Jesus um, before uh, he was crucified. Paul came to faith after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, and even after Jesus went into heaven. And the reason that Paul knew Jesus was from people who had been with Jesus, who knew Jesus themselves. And so he was around those people. And he learned most of what he knew from them. And Paul sort of became a Jesus follower after he was a Jesus hater. Now, if you don't really like Christians or you've had some problems with Christians, and I'm actually one of those, um, you would actually probably like Paul because Paul actually really hated Christians. In fact, you might think that there's some Christians that need to be arrested. Well, Paul actually was the one who arrested the Christians. He sort of got permission from the government to go and arrest Christians and torture them so that they would tell him where the other Christians were so that he, he could arrest them as well. And that was basically his job. But then Paul became a Jesus follower. And he sort of spread the message of Jesus all around the Mediterranean rim. 
And, um, he, and just as his eyes were open, though, it's kind of interesting, just as his eyes open, were open to the reality of who Jesus was, he sort of is given this physical ailment that's, that sort of is pretty bad, and he's sort of stricken with this, and it sort of let, kept, stayed with him for the rest of his life. Now, we don't know exactly what it was, um, but what we do know is that it wasn't going away, and it was something that was a hindrance to him. That Paul, who was actually called to go and share the message of Jesus, he was called by God to go and do this. Somehow he was given this thing that actually made it a little bit harder. And so in Paul's inner wrestlings of saying, like, God, why? Like, I'm not following you. Like, why are you allowing this to happen? Paul learns, and he, and he shares with us, a really extremely helpful insight into how do we deal with these in the meantime moments, these seasons of life. And so if you grew up in church before, you've probably heard this story. If you didn't grow up in church before, um, we're going to share this story. And this may be kind of brand new, but this is a guy named Paul who was once Saul of Tarsus, who walks in the pages of history sort of being a Jesus hater and, and persecuting Christians. Then he becomes one and he gets this ailment and he's sort of trying to figure out how do I deal with this in the meantime situation. So he wrote this in his letter to the Corinthians. Um, you can follow along in the Bible app, um, which if you don't know, it has um, the Bible, but it also has notes and different reading plans. You can download that, follow our notes in there, but we'll also keep the notes um, on the screen. You can also go to the notes page of the tab um, near the chat and you can see the notes there as well. But basically 2 Corinthians chapter 12, again, Paul's writing about this in the meantime, this physical ailment that he's going through. And he says this in verse seven, he says, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given. And it's kind of interesting because so, just like in English, so in Greek is sort of indicating that there's a purpose statement. Paul's saying there's a purpose behind what I was given. There's a purpose behind this. And the Greek word for given is kind of a, a positive word that just describes any sort of gift or you're given. It might be used in the same context. That if Paul celebrated Christmas and was sitting around a Christmas tree being given gifts, this might be the word that he, was, he would use to describe the gifts that were given to him. This was sort of a positive thing. And it didn't mean a curse. It didn't mean a punishment. And so the question will be, well, so Paul, what were you given, right? What were you given? And so he says, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. And the term thorn simply means like a constant torment that it was constantly irritating. It was a constantly irritating problem in his life. And the word torment actually means to beat somebody up or to you know, punch somebody with a fist. It's actually to strike somebody with your fist. And so when you read this, you think like, Paul, I'm not sure you're using the right word because you're saying it's a gift and gift sort of connotates a positive thing. And this seems to be a negative thing. It's torment. It's a thorn. It's not necessarily what it would be. Maybe you should have said you were cursed with it, but Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, I was given this to keep from being conceited. And it was something that just kind of sort of kept beating me up day after day after day. And it just kept bothering him. And Paul says this phrase that's sort of interesting. And it's not a phrase I would highlight very often, but he says it's a messenger from Satan. And the thing is that translators have had a difficult time. They've struggled with how to translate what this really means. Um, some people think it's sort of literal that somehow Satan did something and God somehow used it. Um, other people think that it was just sort of like a figure of speech. Like some of us say like, oh, that hurt like the devil. Well, what does that even mean, right? Does that mean just hurt a lot or what does that even mean? So we don't really know exactly if this was just a figure of speech or some sort of theological statement about Satan or about evil. But what we do know and what is really clear is that Paul saw this thorn as given to him with a purpose, and it wasn't going to go away. Now, a lot of people have speculated on what the thorn actually was, and we really don't know that. Some people think it was epilepsy, and so maybe as he's teaching and preaching and going around, he would go into these fits, and then he would sort of wake up embarrassed and not so sure what happened, and people would be asking, like, what happened to you, Paul? Like, what's going on? Um, some people think it was sort of compared to, like, demon possession, and obviously they didn't know what epilepsy was, and so they sort of, you know, described things or or gave some sort of an example of that. 
Um, some people thought it was just depression. And if you read the book of Acts and read some of the stories of what Paul went through, um, if we just went through one-tenth of what Paul went through, I know at least I would be depressed, and maybe so maybe he was just depressed. Um, some people think it was headaches, and he might have had headaches because he probably had some sort of an eye trouble or eye difficulty, and maybe it was a debilitating thing that, that gave him headaches as well. Um, and maybe it kept him from reading and writing and sort of speaking and going around. It was really painful. Um, other people think because of the areas he traveled in, maybe it was recurring malaria. And so we don't really know exactly what it was, but what we do know is that it was painful, it was humiliating, and it was debilitating. And this guy who was chosen by God to spread the message of Jesus around the Gentile world, he sort of becomes a follower of Jesus, and then he de develops this, this painful, this humiliating, this debilitating thing. And maybe for some of us, that can kind of make us feel a little bit better that we're not alone in following Jesus, that we're not doing something wrong necessarily, that this is just sometimes what happens. And Paul sort of tells us, that when he realizes this isn't going away, he tells us something that's very helpful, I think, for all of us to look at. And it's sort of great news for me and for you because he does the exact same thing that you and I would do if we come into a situation of some sort of in the meantime moment that just doesn't seem to go away. And so here's what he says. He says, verse eight, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And basically Paul could say like, I wrote half the New Testament and I did some pretty cool things, but even I like that, I would do the same thing. I would go and beg God to take this thing away from me when it was bothering me, I would ask God to take it away. And this is sort of an indication that there were probably three different seasons, three different unique seasons where Paul was dealing with this and he was pleading with God to take it away. And he just was saying, God, I can't continue doing this. I can't continue moving on. If you don't deal with this thorn that I'm dealing with, if you don't change my circumstances. And he sort of begged God to do something on his behalf. And one of the powerful things for you might be that some of you were told that the reason why your life isn't getting better, the reason that things aren't improving, is because you don't have enough faith. And the, the interesting thing is that if you look at Paul, he probably has more faith than all of us combined, and yet God doesn't change the thing in his life either. And so maybe that's not the thing for you. That simply trying to faith God into doing something that you want him to do isn't actually good theology, and it actually doesn't represent who God really is. Um, so Paul, who's basically, again, he's an extraordinary man of faith. You read the stories about him. He pleaded with God to do something that would allow him to actually share God's message in a more energetic and powerful way. And yet it seems like, as we see, each three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Verse 9, each time God said, and that's something that maybe some of you are waiting for. You just wish God would say something, some sort of indication or, or, or a signal or recognition that he's hearing your prayers. And you could take a no if you just heard God say something that, no, I can't do this right now. And you wish that this was sort of you. But he says, each, different, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And one way to sort of understand that verse is to sort of interchange grace and power in, the, in, the way, in that verse. And you can sort of read it this way, that my power is all you need. My grace works best in weakness. And what God communicated to Paul is maybe what some of you need to hear today, that Paul or that you, the answer is no. That God would say to you, the answer is no. I'm not going to remove this thing from you, but I am going to give you the strength to go through it. That I am going to give you the power, I am going to give you the grace that you can go through this situation, you can deal with this situation, in spite of the fact that it's not going away. That my power sort of reaches its fullest potential, its full measure, when you are at your weakest. And it's almost as if God is saying to Paul, like, I'm going to use your weakness to somehow show my glory and show my strength and my power to other people. 
And so Paul now adds a fourth thing to his list. Basically, it's painful, it's humiliating, it's debilitating, and it seems like it's going to be permanent. It's not necessarily going away. And by the way, Paul, God would say, I love you and I care about you, and I'm going to use you that like people are going to name their children after you, Paul. And actually, my middle name is Paul. People are going to name their children after you. You're going to have amazing influence and significance in the world. I haven't forgotten about you, Paul. You are still right where I want you to be. But to answer your question, will I change the circumstances? Will I help heal that? Will I, will I ease your pain? My answer is no, Paul. And, but it's no with a promise that my grace will be sufficient for you. So what Paul writes next, I really think that nobody would make up, nobody would lie about. And I think it's sort of just an indicator of like, so what are you going to do in the meantime, Paul? Like, that's the question we would ask. And what Paul writes next is, again, just something somebody would not make up. He says this, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So basically, since this is not going away, since this is going to continue um, to get in my way in some ways, since people are going to continue to constantly ask, like, why doesn't God do something about that? I'm going to boast in it. I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not going to run from it. I'm not going to try to shield it. I'm not going to try to pretend. I'm not going to try to lie about it. I'm not even going to try to dodge it. Like, I'm going to walk into it and step into it and embrace it. And I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that, he would say, so that something could happen. There's a purpose and an outcome behind it. And he would say, so that the power of Christ can work through me so that God's power, Christ's power can like sort of rest on me as a demonstration to other people. And so the question might be like, so what are you going to do in the meantime, Paul? Like, what are you going to do when this is all going on? And Paul would tell us, I think I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to step into it so that others can see the power of Jesus working in my life. And there's sort of kind of an interesting grammatical thing happening here in the Greek, which is the language Paul wrote this in. And it's kind of an, it's got a powerful implication, which is basically this embracing your inability is a prerequisite to experiencing God's ability. Embracing your inability is a prerequisite to experiencing Christ's ability. To sort of enable, to be able to experience the power and the grace that God has promised you, you sort of have to deal with and embrace your inability to deal with things. And maybe there's not a better situation for some of us than this coronavirus. We can't deal with it. We have no ability to really deal with it unless you're a frontline worker, which we really thank you for your your help in dealing with this. But for most of us, we can't do anything. We have no ability to deal with this situation. And sort of embracing that is one of the prerequisites to actually experiencing Christ's power in our life and his ability in our life. And the thing is, though, that when we bump up against this, our natural inclination is not to embrace it. When we bump up against circumstances that don't seem to change and we have a lack of ability, our tendency is to sort of lie. Our tendency is to hide. Our tendency is to pretend. And Paul would say, when I got past all of that, and I actually embraced it and I stepped into it, I experienced Christ's power in me and his ability in me. So I want to take one more t moment to do a discussion question real quick. So discuss that with who you're watching this video with or that in the chat. We'd love for you to engage that way. But the question is, how could you follow Paul's example to boast in your weaknesses or in adversity that you're facing? And how might that change the way that you respond in adversity or in your weakness? So take 30 seconds to discuss that now and we'll come up and wrap, we'll come back and we'll wrap up this message.
So Paul concludes his insight into dealing with these in-the-meantime situations and his situation specifically in verse 10. He says, That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecution and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. To which we say, Paul, but that's not the American way. (laughs) To which Paul, I think, would say to us, and that might be why you're not experiencing the grace of God in your lives in the most difficult areas that you're struggling with. And so all that sort of to say that I think that what Paul says sort of hinges on two phrases that he said at the very beginning. And those phrases are, so too I was given. And basically I think Paul would say that God sort of gave me an opportunity with a purpose and a promise. But I had to see it as an opportunity and not just as misfortune. That I had to actually embrace it and not just sort of resist it and push back on it. That once I saw it as an opportunity with a purpose and a promise, then something powerful sort of happened that probably wouldn't have happened any other way. And that sort of brings us to us. That if you pray in any sort of way that God would change your circumstances, if you pray that and believe that God would somehow change the state of your marriage or change the situation that you're in, but God has chosen not to, then you now have the option, because we sort of get a choice in this matter. You have the option to see this as an opportunity with a purpose and a promise, because for some of us, we've prayed and we've asked God and we've, we've begged God in some ways, just like Paul, that we want God to act on our behalf, but it just doesn't seem like God is going to act on our behalf or the way that we want to. We now have the option to change our perspective and to change our attitude about the situation. That you really do have the option to see this as an opportunity with a purpose and a plan. And the, the purpose is yet to be determined. We might not find that out until the next life. We don't know. But the promise is My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And the reason that I say that you have an option is really because I would think I would be overstepping my boundaries as a pastor to say that you must view this as an opportunity because I haven't gone through the same things that you've gone through in the same ways that you've gone through them. That I think that this is really something that God sort of brings us to the edge of, that in some ways God sort of opens our eyes a little bit to, but then ultimately we have to take the step Uh, of moving forward into that. And if if this is really different than what you heard growing up, that if you heard that, you know, if you have enough faith that God will help you and and the reason that things aren't better for you now is because you don't have enough faith, I just want to sort of tell you that I don't think that lines up with anything in the lives of the people who bring us the story of Jesus, that it really doesn't line up with that. And I just want to sort of give you the opportunity to put adversity, this adversity specifically, into sort of a new and broader context. That in some small, but I would suggest significant and powerful way, when we sort of see our adversity as an opportunity, we sort of take a step into the sufferings of Jesus. That really it comes with a promise and a purpose, and we sort of get the opportunity, just like Jesus did, to step into something that's adverse, but it's an opportunity with a purpose. There is a purpose behind this, and we might not know it right away, but there also is a definite promise that God is with us and His grace is sufficient. And the good news is that just like Jesus and just like Paul, and just like many of the people that have come before us, that we have the option to ask God to take away our suffering, or like Paul, to take away this thorn from us. But the not-so-great news is that God sometimes says no. And in those moments, we learn from Jesus, and we learn from Paul, and maybe you've learned from some of your friends and neighbors and people who've gone through difficult things, that sustaining grace really begins when you say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And that God's sustaining grace somehow empowers us and, and becomes the power that allows you just to really put one foot in front of the other. And that when you're in the meantime situation, 
you are able to take a step forward when it doesn't seem like you'd be able to any other way. That somehow, God, if you're not going to change this, if you're not going to remove this, that not my will, but your will be done. And so in this in the meantime situation that we're in right now, would you consider the option to receive this season as an opportunity with a purpose and a promise? Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to receive this season as an opportunity with a purpose and a promise? Again, the purpose is yet to be revealed, but the promise is my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And this is an opportunity, and this is really an invitation for all of us to to receive what otherwise is just a terrible thing. All, All accounts, it's a terrible thing. But maybe it's an opportunity with a purpose and a promise that God is still with us and his grace is sufficient for us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, in many ways, I really don't feel adequate to preach a message like this. And um, I haven't gone through a lot of the things that maybe a lot of people listening or watching have. I haven't been through long, dark seasons. And yet, God, I also know that there are women and men right now listening to this who probably could stand up and share their story. And we would sort of lose all of our excuses because they would say, yeah, God's grace is sufficient. I went through something pretty terrible, but his power was made perfect in our weakness. And so, God, wherever this would land and whoever this would land with, God, would you please give them the courage to step towards this as an opportunity? Would you give them the opportunity and the the courage to step forward to this, to receive this and not not resist it, but receive this in a way that would help them to see that there could be a purpose and that they would experience the promise that you and your grace are with them and that that you are sufficient. And God, if there's anybody listening that would say like, I'm not even sure I believe this stuff. I'm not even sure, but I believe in Jesus but I'm in one of those in the meantime situations. And it seems like God or somebody or karma or fate, whatever has allowed this to happen. And I need something. So God, would you do that thing that you've done so many times throughout history? Would you use this crisis? Would you use their crisis right now? Would you use our adversity collectively to draw people into a relationship with you where they would be able to call you just like Jesus did, where they would be able to call on you as father. And God, we pray this all in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.